you know, wisdom is often found in between the extremes. Um, 60s, just a little bit too chilly. 80s, a little bit too stifling in the house, but 70s, just about right. Wisdom is often found in the middle of two extremes. In my house, I am a saver. I like to keep money aside. I like to save. I like to watch things grow. Uh, my wife has another word for that. She says, tightwad. I, I, I like to think of myself as a saver. I think that's a little bit, little bit closer. Um, but some of you know, uh, not everybody's that way. She is not a saver. She is not a tightwad, as she would put it. Uh, she is a little bit more of a spendthrift. She doesn't spend more than we have, but by golly, she'll spend it if we've got it. So, um, and that's okay. She does good with how she spends it. I'm not complaining about how she spends it. Um, but there is wisdom in both, isn't there? There are times to save. And then there's times when you just need to spend some money because if you don't spend a little bit of money, you're going to end up spending a lot of money. Anybody been through that battle with cars? You do a little bit of preventative maintenance and you can avoid some pretty big problems. You see, there's wisdom between the extremes sometimes. I think of the skeptic, the one who will not believe anything. They question everything. Every minute detail goes under the microscope of the skeptic. And then there's the gullible who believes just about anything. But sometimes we need to be skeptical. And sometimes we just need to trust. There's wisdom between the extremes, the old and the new. This service, I didn't realize it was going to go this way as I prepared this sermon. But it's a little bit old and a little bit of new. There are songs that were written before I was born, songs that were written after, songs that we've sung for a long time, and songs that some of you have heard for the first time. And some people have the tendency to want to throw out everything old as, well, that's all old. I mean, we've moved beyond that, right? But then again, when you have a song, when you have a way of doing things that's made it through generations, through centuries, there's a reason Amazing Grace is still sung. There's a reason that some of the things that are old still are around. Some of the cathedrals that were built in the Middle Ages are still beautiful, still majestic, still awe-inspiring. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's good. Just because it's old doesn't mean that it's good. There's wisdom between the extremes. But there's some times when you can't go between the extremes. There are some times where if you try to put a little bit of both, it just doesn't work. You have to make a choice. And there's an instance in the life of Jesus in which two diametrically opposed things stand in opposition to each other. Two different ways of living clash head on. And you have to make a choice. In Luke chapter 5, we have the story. Stand with me as we read Luke 5. We're going to read in verses 33 through 39 this morning. This is God's Word. And it's old, but man, it's just as new in our hearts today as it was when it was first spoken. And if you let it, it will change your life. Luke 5, 33, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often, and offer, prayer, offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? 
The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Pray with me. Father, illuminate your word in our hearts this morning. You are the one who wrote it. You're the one who inspired it. You're the one who has preserved it. So you, Lord, are the only one that can help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. So God, do that work this morning. As we read, as we pray, as we seek to apply your word, empower us every step of the way that we may glorify you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The passage starts with an observation in verse 33. They said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. There's an implied question in this statement. It's the question, why don't they? Why don't your disciples fast? Why don't your disciples offer prayers? I mean, fasting itself, it's not uncommon. Jews would do it a couple of times a year minimum, especially uh, during one feast uh, around late July, early August is, is a Jewish holiday known as Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is not a celebration. It's a mourning. It's the day that Jerusalem fell to the Babylonians. And so every year they, they remember that. And one of the things that they do is they fast during the process. They also read the book of Lamentations because when you're mourning, um, that's an appropriate book to read. In fact, it was written when Jerusalem fell. So they read that book and they fast. And sometimes they'll fast a couple of different times a year Pharisees, though, Pharisees took this to a whole nother level. They didn't fast a few times a year. They fasted twice a week. Mondays and Thursdays were fast days for Pharisees. And so they wouldn't eat all day long during those days. And during those days, they would pray to God for the sake of the nation. It was, it was actually kind of an interesting thing. And to be honest, one of those things, fasting is one of those things that we don't do enough of. I mean, you could tell, right? I could definitely use a fast every now and then. We don't fast very often. We don't, we don't see the value in that, I guess, but, but it really is a valuable thing. It's a spiritual discipline. It's one that Jesus did. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness as he was being tempted. There's other times where he fasts and prays all night long before he calls his disciples, before he does certain major things. So fasting itself isn't a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. It's a spiritual discipline that if, if, if we really took seriously, imagine the breakthroughs that could happen if we devoted ourselves so completely to asking God for forgiveness and mercy for our church, for our community, for our nation, for our world. Can you imagine the difference it would make? It's really a good thing. So why don't they fast? Why, why doesn't he teach them to do something that's obviously a very good thing? Jesus gives the answer. 
In verses 34 and 35, Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? I I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding, but I don't think it's a very good place to fast. (laughs) Okay? Um, Verse 35, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. What Jesus is saying is that there's a time to fast. There's also a time when fasting just isn't appropriate. He uses the examples of wedding guests. And we think of a wedding, we think of the ceremony. And yeah, there's a lot of buildup and a lot of preparation for it. And you, you get everything ready and, and you, you, the bride has to pick out her dress and then get fitted for her dress and then get refitted for her dress and then get refitted again and, and all these different things, right? She's got to get her hair done and she's got to get all kinds of stuff all in the process. The guy just runs down to the tuck shop and is like, yeah, I think my arm length is, is 34, probably a 40 chest and that should do it. Let's see, size pants, uh, I don't know, 36, 30, something like that. Anyway, yeah, and that's it. And then when he gets the suit, he puts it on and it fits and it's really uncomfortable because that's how you know it fits. If it's comfortable, it's too big. So it, it fits, he's uncomfortable and he says, all right, this is fine. I just need to make sure I return it. <laughs> that's, that's all it is for the guy. The girl is, goes through a whole lot more. But there's all kinds of different decorations and all kinds of different things to get ready and you got to send out invitations and all this kind of stuff. We think of a wedding, though, as just that ceremony. But in those days, weddings were a little bit different. There was a whole lead-up to the ceremony. There would be feasting, not fasting. It's not appropriate for the groomsmen staying with the groom before the wedding. They had basically two jobs. Number one is to make sure the groom didn't go get the bride too early. And number two was to make sure he got to the bride when it was the right time. But all the time, they are with the groom. These wedding guests are really groomsmen. And they are celebrating with him. They're feasting. You see, it doesn't make sense for the groomsmen to be fasting in a time of feasting. He says they don't fast because it ain't time yet. They they are there for him. John makes an interesting statement concerning this he he, jesus isn't the only one that compared himself to the bridegroom uh uh, paul talks about the church being the bride of christ that's not an accident he does that on purpose but john also talks about jesus as being the bridegroom and him as being like one of the groomsmen he says this in john 3 the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. In other words, the groomsman is happy for the bridegroom. The groomsman is celebrating with the bridegroom. The groomsman is rejoicing with the bridegroom. It's not a time to fast. Look what he says. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He is the bridegroom. Jesus is or Jesus is the bridegroom, John is the groomsman, and that's why he says in verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. He's saying it's about the groom. It's not about the groomsman. It's not about me. I'm just the guy standing by him. It's about him. And we all know, if we're all honest, we all know that it's got to be about him. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. The disciple shouldn't be fasting because he should be the one they're focused on. But Jesus is so close, how could they fast? Communion with God didn't require great spiritual discipline. He was right there, walking in their midst. God in human flesh. 
And so it wasn't time to fast yet. There would be a time. Jesus wouldn't be with them forever. But not now. Not, not yet. He's, he's with them now. So it's not time to fast. Jesus isn't just concerned about whether it's time to fast or not. He sees something that most of us don't see. Most of us maybe have never really even seen. You ever look at a situation and you think, there's more to it than what's right in front of me. There's something deeper going on. Maybe, maybe you've never noticed that. But there is. Jesus, when he looks at the situation, he doesn't just see a question about fasting. He sees a divergence of worldviews. He sees a conflict of perspectives, a war of worldviews raging right in front of him. The battle wasn't between good and bad. Fasting itself wasn't bad. It was between, in a sense, old and new. For hundreds of years, men had been seeking to follow God's laws, living according to a standard. The Pharisees, in particular, were very concerned with keeping the law of God. So they developed some guidelines. Now, by Jesus' day, um, many people just look at Pharisees as being terrible. They're loading up men's backs with all these horrible burdens of do's and don'ts that God never even really said. The problem is, that's not really what it was intended to be. It was intended to be guidelines. It was intended to be uh, 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 like traffic cones in the road that keep you from driving off into the dangerous places. It was intended to be a way that you could make sure that you're following God's law. But it ended up becoming a law in and of itself. And by Jesus' day, yeah, there were many Pharisees that were just no good, rotten, very bad people who who would tithe the dill and the mint and the cumin, who would load up men's backs with heavy burdens but wouldn't lift a pinky to help, as Jesus would put it. When Jesus heard the statement, and the questions it implied, he realized the issue wasn't fasting, it was living a life that pleases God. It's not just about this particular action, it's about how do we live in such a way that honors God, that follows His laws. And so he teaches those around him with two parables about some things that you commonly consider at weddings. Clothes and wine. Now, um, if you're not the type that drinks alcohol, you may not think so much of wine at a wedding, but it was common, and it's still common today. But the first parable he gives us is old clothes and new patches. Luke 5.36, he also told them a parable, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. You don't rip up a new pair of pants in order to patch an old pair of pants. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. Matthew gives a little bit different wording with this same basic idea. Matthew 9.16, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. So, I'm not a seamstress, okay? I'm, or seamster, I guess. I don't do that kind of thing. My wife does a little bit of that, but but not me. Um, but even I can understand this parable. If you have an old pair of pants and you got a hole in the knee, you go to patch it. You don't take brand new fabric that hasn't been pre-shrunk to put on that hole, right? Because when you do and you wash it, what happens? The new stuff shrinks, the old stuff doesn't, and it rips it and makes it even worse, Okay? That's pretty, uh, we all got that, okay? 
For those of you who've never done laundry before, things shrink in the wash, okay? Um, just, yeah, anyway, I, I won't go there. Um, not only that, it'll be blatantly obvious. The fabric won't match. That old stuff is a little bit dingy. It's a little bit dirty. It's a little bit stained. It's a little bit old. It's a little bit frayed. It looks old. Feels old. That new patch right there, that's not old. It's got a different color to it. It's a little brighter. It won't match. You can't put a new patch on an old pair of pants. There's something interesting, though, about Jesus' words. Not only does he talk about putting a new patch on an old pair of pants. Look, look at where the new patch comes from. Verse 36. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment. So not only is it not putting on a new patch on an old pair of pants, you're not going to rip up a new pair of pants to patch an old pair of pants. That's ridiculous. Just put the new pair on. Throw the old pair away. Why would you do that? Why would you tear up something that's good in order to patch something that's raggedy? We wouldn't do that. And yet that's exactly what we do. Problem is many people try to patch up their what they call old-time religion. A religion that's based in works, a religion that's based on what I do, what I can be, that's based on how I contribute, how I climb the mountain to get to God. And we try to patch it in those places that are holy. Oh, well, I got a little problem with pride. So I better put a Jesus patch on that pride, that pride hole in my knee. I got a little problem on the other knee with with anger. And so I'm going to take a Jesus patch and I'm going to patch up that anger hole on my old pair of works pants. And the problem is, in the wash, it rips apart because that new pit patch don't go with that old pair of pants. You can't just get a Jesus patch and sew it in where the holes happen to be and expect it to work. Jesus is saying he ain't no patch. He's a whole new pair of pants. A religion that bases everything in faith on him. It, it if we're saved by faith, we're, we're changed by faith, we grow by faith, we mature in faith until the day that our faith is made complete and we are glorified. It is a righteousness that is, as Paul says, from faith to faith. Faith all the way through. And you can't use that to just patch up works. You can't use that just to fill in the gaps, to, to cover over the holes in your knees. No, that doesn't work. When we try to patch our raggedy pair of works pants with a Jesus patch, we're ripping apart the faith pants that we should be wearing in order to save a pair of old pants that just don't work for us anymore. Don't do that. Throw away the old junk, the junk that never worked anyway, and put on the new pants. By the way, I think, I think, I, I, I hear echoes of 1 Corinthians 5.17 where Paul says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have been patched over? No, they're passed away. Chunk them in the garbage. You got a better pair of pants now. Not only are we talking about old clothes and new patches, we're talking about old wineskins and new wine. Luke 5, 37, 38. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it'll be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins now as little as i am of a seamstress i'm even less of an alcohol maker okay i don't make wine i I don't have my own wine press i don't crush grapes i don't do any of that kind of stuff 
and it's probably a good thing. Um, is there no end to the things I cannot do? <laughs> I've looked at a few things, and according to experts, um, wine goes through this aging process, and it's kind of like bread, actually. Um, there's, there's bacteria, yeast, in the wine, and it starts feeding off the sugars that are in the juice, and it creates gases, and it expands, actually, in the process. And as it's doing this process, it starts fermenting and becoming alcoholic. You get, you crush grapes, you make grape juice, you let it sit a while, and let these things take place, and it becomes wine. Now, just like bread in the oven that yeast causes to rise, as as the wine ferments, it actually expands. So if you put, now we use bottles today, or they do, they do whoever does it, I don't do it. So not, not we, including me, but um, whenever, in those days you had skins. And if you put an old skin, it would be dried out. It, it wouldn't be as flexible as it used to be. And so if you put new wine into an old wine skin, the wine would expand inside the skin. There's no way for the air to get out except bursting the skin. That's what Jesus is talking about. You don't put new wine into an old wine skin because it can't stretch. A new wine skin will have a little bit of stretchability to it. And so as the gas expands in there and as the, as it gets a little bit bigger, the wine skin itself would get bigger like a balloon. You blow up a balloon and it gets bigger to take in all the air, right? Well, eventually there's a place where that balloon will pop. And if it's an old balloon and you try to blow it up, it ain't going to go very far before it pops. There's too much pressure. Same thing happens here. When you put a new patch on an old pair of pants, it's going to end up ripping apart. When you put new wine into an old wineskin, it ends up ripping it apart. It's the same problem. It's kind of combining a little bit of Jesus and putting him into an old way of doing things. Well, I'm just going to live an old way, the way that I think is right, the way that the where I earn my salvation, but I'm going to put a little bit of Jesus behind it so that so that I can actually accomplish it all. I'm going to take a little bit of the Jesus wine and I'm going to put it in my my workspace salvation wine skin and I'm going to be good to go. It don't work. You see, because of what Jesus does in you. Jesus causes you to grow. When when you take in Christ, uh, and you are that new creation. Yeah, you're like a little baby. But that baby don't stay a baby. That baby grows. And Jesus grows you and matures you. He teaches you how to walk with God. He shows you the way through the Holy Spirit, teaching you and guiding you in truth. You grow to maturity. And as you're growing, that old workspace salvation just won't hold it. It's not flexible enough. It's too rigid, too old, too dried out. We need a new skin that will hold the wine as it ferments so that it won't burst. The point of both of these parables is that you cannot mix the new and the old together. You cannot live in such a way to earn your salvation through works and put faith in Christ. It doesn't work. I've said it before. Jesus ain't a vacuum attachment. It's just good for those tough little spots that are hard to get to. It's all or nothing with him. There's no in-between the extremes. You're either trying to earn your salvation in God or you're trusting in Christ. 
It's one or the other. You can't trust and still be trying to earn it. Now, that new wineskin is kind of a discipleship, isn't it? It's, it's learning to mature in your faith. And yes, there is a place for works in faith-based salvation. It's the result of faith. It's the result of being saved. This is why I think it's Peter that says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What he's saying isn't that we should work in order to gain our salvation. We are working because of what God has already done in us. So there is a place for works. But it's not in saving us from our sins. It's in response to being saved. It's not based on works, but it results in works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. That's what James says. So we have this new and this old. This old way. These old pants of works. Pants. Where we're trying to earn our salvation by the things that we do. By the laws that we uphold. By the things that we don't do. It's time to throw those pants away and put on the new pair of pants. The faith faith pants. The pants that put absolute trust in Christ. We try to take our old wineskin of rigid religious repetition that's vain and empty and we try to put Jesus into it and it just bursts the skin. It can't hold it. Instead, we should be putting our new wine, our wine of faith in Christ into wineskins of discipleship that live out that faith. Those skins will grow. Jesus adds one more line to the parable though. Verse 39, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. I, I got to be honest with you. A lot of people, when they look at this new wine, when they look at that new patch, they, they, they choose to go with the old way instead. I'll just take, I'll just take what I'm used to. Fact is, you got to choose. He's not saying that the old wine is better. He's saying that a lot of people look at it that way. And you have to make that choice. There is wisdom between the extremes often, but sometimes you've got to choose. And Jesus is one that you've got to choose. You can either trust him as Lord or you can disregard him and go about it your own way. That choice is up to you. Linda, would you come and play an invitation hymn while she's playing this hymn? I'm going to be standing at the front. What's your choice going to be? I'd love to help talk to you about it. If you don't know Jesus, if you, if you want to know more about him or you're ready to give him your heart, or maybe you have done that and you just haven't told anybody, we'd love to rejoice with you. But in either case, you come and I'd love to talk to you and help you with the next steps. Maybe, maybe you've already trusted Christ and you just need to trust him more. Maybe you keep trying to get that old pair of pants out of the trash, trying to save that old wineskin. I'd love to pray with you and help you grow, help you live life the way that God has always meant you to live. In any, either case, if you find that you need a good church home, I know a really, really good one. In fact, you happen to be in a really good church home this morning. We'd love to have you come join us. But as we stand and sing this song, I'll, I'll be here at the front. You come and do what God wants you to do.